I just want to thank you for coming today. We started a new series a couple weeks ago. We've called No Doubt About It. It's not because we don't have doubts. It's because we do. <laughs> Having no doubt is what we all would like to have, but um, we struggle if we're honest. How many of you, how many of you had, a childhood, uh, had a childhood hero? How many of you had a childhood hero? Anybody a childhood hero? Yeah? Three of you? No, nobody else? You just worshiped yourself? Or what, what, how'd that go? How many of you had a childhood hero? You don't, okay, all right, I, I, had, I had some, so I'm, I'll bring mine. Uh, the first one is uh, here, Superman. Now, I'm not talking about that new wave in the pajama, all that. I'm talking about Superman. Come on, how many of you remember Christopher Reeves? Remember that? Do you remember when Superman was good? Like he wasn't conflicted about he's going to be good or bad and all that. Remember he was just all good? Remember back in those days when characters weren't as dark? Well, you know, everybody had that little childhood hero you look up to and say, man, I want to be, you know, just like him. Well, Superman was one of those guys for me. Uh, I even took, uh, like I had a red towel, and I, how many of you did this? I tied around my neck, right? And I'd jump off stuff in the house, and um, I found out something. I'm not too good at flying. Like, I don't go that far, and I don't know if you could actually call it flying, uh, but I realized that that's, that's probably not going to work out. I, I might have the wrong hero, because I don't think I can really be like him. So then I got another hero a little bit later in life. Remember this? Come on. Come on. Come on. Who remembers Rocky Bow? Adrian! Remember Rocky Balboa? Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, I remember the whole story, you know, the guy's not that educated, he's not, got nothing going for him, he's just broke and poor, drinking eggs out of a glass in an old apartment in Philadelphia. I've been to the statue of Rocky Balboa in Philadelphia, it's just awesome. And, uh, and, and so you got this guy, and he just, he just you know, I the tiger, right? Nah, nah, you still do the song? And, I mean, this guy's giving it everything he's got, and he becomes the world champion, Rocky Bell. I can remember when I first saw I don't remember, maybe I was 11 or 12. I came out of the theater, and, you know, I'm punching stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, I got to punch something. Something's got to get hurt. And I grazed one of my knuckles on, like, the brick column. I thought, oh, I'm done. I'm out. That's what that is. I don't really want to hit anything. I just thought I did. So, I, well, that's probably not going to work out for me. Then, then there's this guy. Remember this? Come on, Indiana Jones? Yeah? Everybody wanted to, like, use a whip after that, right? Have you ever tried that? It is, it is not easy, and you can hurt yourself. Trust me, I have experience. Uh, but, you know, you try to do the little whip. And look, I'm not an archaeologist. I don't like to dig in stuff and dig up old stuff and look at it, and I realize he's probably not going to work out for me. Then came along this guy. Maybe you won't recognize him in this picture. Do you remember? Anybody remember this picture? Anybody remember it? Commercial? I'll tell you about it. Michael Jordan. How many, of you, how many of you watched basketball, come on, in the Jordan years? How many of you remember that? Yes? Okay, this is the GOAT. You know what the GOAT is? The greatest of all time. In my opinion, LeBron's good. Kobe was okay. And my, Larry Bird was good. In my opinion, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Maybe there'll be another better one. And look, everybody's got a right to their own opinion. Uh, you, you have every right to be wrong if you don't think he's the best. It's okay. You don't have to believe that. But I'm saying to you, Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Now, here's the problem. Here's what's different from my other heroes in this one. I actually played basketball. I mean, I tried it. You know, for six years, I played basketball. And, you know, I see, and I thought, man, maybe if I work hard, maybe if I practice, you know, maybe if I get good. And look, on my very, 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 very best day, I think I was able to jump. And do you know the little, not the rim, but do you know the little hoops that hold the net? I think I was able to nick one of those. And I said I got the rim because it's attached to the rim and it's orange like the rim. But I realized pretty easy, pretty quickly, I, I'm not going to be like Michael Jordan. That's probably not going to work out for me because I played basketball. But, but look, then came along this commercial, right? 
Gatorade, and there was this whole uh, campaign, Be Like Mike. How many of you remember that? Be Like Mike. Well, I realized pretty quick the only thing that Mike and I would ever have in common is we drink Gatorade. Like nothing else <laughs> else is ever going to really work. And, and by the way, I think that was Gatorade's plan. I think they were going to suck you in to say, if you just drink this, you know, maybe you'll, you and Mike will have something in common. Uh, but look, there's no way I could ever be like Mike. I'm never going to be able to do what he does. But all of us have some of this, you know, bigger-than-life hero that we admire out there, and we just want to be like them. But, but every one of us somewhere in life hit this brick wall we call, I don't know, reality, and we realize it's not going to happen. And if we're not careful, though, we bring that same mentality into our Christian faith, right? So, so we look around and we say, Superman's the hero of the superheroes, Rocky's the, su- the superhero of, the, of boxing, uh, you know, Indiana Jones is the hero of the big screen. Michael Jordan is the hero of basketball. Jesus is the hero of Christianity. And we start to think, you know what? I bet life has taught me I can't be like any of them. I probably am not going to be able to be like Jesus either. And we have doubt. And if we're honest this morning, all of us have experienced that doubt at some point in our life. Now, in this series, we've been talking about how do we deal with doubts. And we talked about faith in the storm. Last week we talked about doubting God's goodness. And today when we say, I'm not sure I could ever really be like Jesus. What we're saying is, is I doubt God's power. I doubt God has enough power or strength or ability to change me or help me to really ever become like Him. So that, that brings us to What is the goal of Christianity? The goal of Christianity is becoming more like Jesus. Now look, I I love the South. I've never lived anywhere else except for that few years I lived in Central Florida that might not quite be South. But I've never lived outside the South. I lived in the South all my life. How many of you have ever lived anywhere outside the South? How many of you have ever lived outside? Whoa, okay. So let me explain a couple things uh, in case you might not know. Um... In the South, we have some things that I really love. We like our chicken fried. I don't know what people do with the bird in the rest of the country, but it's not chicken till you fry it. That's what we believe down here in the South. Also, we like our tea. Yes, right, sweet, right? You go somewhere else, you go, do you have sweet tea? And they're like, there's sugar on the table. It won't dissolve. You got to put it in there when it's hot, right? Everybody in the South knows that. Yeah. And, and uh, we don't put sugar in our cornbread like they do in other parts of the country. We call that cake down here. That's not cornbread. And by the way, it's not pecan, it's pecan. Pecan's something else. And we're not going to talk about what that is. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> in the South, it's pecan. And they're incredible to make pie and all kind of dessert and everything with But one of the challenges in the South that I don't appreciate as much is generally what we believe about Christianity in the South is Christianity is about accepting an invitation to heaven when you die. That's what the average Southerner believes Christianity is. However, that's not what the Bible teaches Christianity is. Christianity isn't accepting an invitation to go to heaven when you die. Christianity is accepting the call to become like Jesus now. It just so happens when you accept that call, you get both. But it's not about just having a ticket to heaven when you die. And by the way, becoming like Jesus isn't really easy, is it? 
Reading your Bible is easy, right? I mean, you got a Bible app on your phone. you got Bible on the Internet. You can Google Bible, and Bible comes up everywhere. You've got Bible st- bookstores. You can order Bibles online. Let's just face it, as Americans, we got more access to Bibles than any culture that's ever lived on earth. So reading the Bible is not hard. Uh, let's face it, prayer's not hard, right? Prayer's not hard. You can pray anywhere. You can pray anytime. You don't need to be trained. You don't need to be good at it. And the lines are never jammed. So if you want to pray, you can pray. Reading the Bible's not hard. Prayer's not hard. But let's face it for a minute. Becoming like Jesus, now that's different, isn't it? That's hard. That's tough. So the second uh, thing is that I just kind of set up this morning. The closer we get to Jesus the more our lives are changed for the better. Can I tell you something, an interesting observation that I've had in 25 years of ministry? I've never had anybody tell me I became more like Jesus and it blew my life up. I've never had anybody tell me I became more like Jesus and it blew up my marriage or it blew up my family or it blew up my job or my life got a lot worse after I became more like Jesus. When you become more like Jesus, your life is changed for the better. And the goal of Christianity is that you and I would become more like Jesus. Now, at some point in your life, you've probably had the thought, I'm not sure that can happen. I kind of doubt that. So Matthew chapter 14 this morning, I want us to look at an event that happened in Jesus' life that will help us get a little better look at um, what Jesus was like And we're going to talk this morning about how we can follow in his footsteps and become a little bit more like him. Matthew 14, this is the most popular miracle in the entire Bible. And I say that because it's the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, There were four writers who wrote about Jesus' life from four different perspectives. And there's only one miracle in the entire Bible that all four of those writers wrote about. And so that's why I'm saying it's the most popular miracle in the Bible. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to read, read the story, and then we'll loop back around and pull out four concepts that you and I can apply this morning. We can take steps today to becoming more like Jesus. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Now, you wouldn't know this unless you read um, the whole chapter, but in Matthew 14, 1-12, what just happened is Jesus' cousin had just been killed. Now, not just any cousin. This was the cousin. This was John. This was the cousin that um, baptized Jesus in water. And so this was a really, really painful event. He, as a matter of fact, he had his head cut off. And he had been tragically, horribly killed, violently killed. And um, Jesus is coming right off of this moment. And now what do you want to do when you get bad news, right? You want to be alone, right? That's what most of us want to do. We just want to draw. We want to be alone. Well, look, look, at the, look at the language again. When Jesus heard what happened, what happened? John was killed. He withdrew by boat, withdrew privately, solitary place. <laughs> so he just wants to be alone. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, okay, Exact opposite of everything he wanted. He wanted to be alone. He withdrew. And now here's this giant crowd. He had compassion. If you can circle that word in what you're reading, circle is a very important word. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. So what's important is Jesus was motivated to do what he did by compassion. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. 
send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now look, Jesus had been teaching for hours. They'd been outside for a long time. And I think what actually happened is the disciples got hangry. Anybody know what hangry is? You know what? It's when you get so hungry that you're angry. You get hangry. Uh, I mean, these guys have been out there, and they're like, you know, I wonder how long he's going to talk. Like, Jesus, this is the, time out, this is the greatest thing we've ever heard. However, we're not asking for ourselves, because we're not hungry. But these poor people out here are starving, and we're just thinking, maybe, you know, we should send them away and let them eat. And, you know, after they're sitting there listening for a long time, they're wondering, I wonder how long he's going to go. I wonder if he's going to stop. Of course, Thomas is like, I doubt it. doubt he's going to stop. How bold do you have to be to interrupt Jesus? Think about that. Jesus replied, (laughs) they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Uh, 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 We weren't weren't thinking like that. (laughs) You give. Remember that. You give. You give them something to eat. Verse 17. We have here only... Five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And I think they, what they did is stole the little boy's lunch. I mean, I don't know, you know, they pushed him down and took his lunch or something. Verse 18, bring them here to me. Interesting. Bring them here to me, he said. What is Jesus saying? You only got a little lunch? Bring it to me, I can use it. Whatever you have in your hand, bring it to me, I can use it. You got a busted up marriage? Bring it to me, I can use it. You got a career that's failing? Bring it to me. I can use it. You have issues you don't know how to resolve? Bring them to me. This is the invitation in this scripture where Jesus says, I'm not concerned with how little you have. I'm concerned with whose hands you put it in. You don't have to create or produce anything else. It doesn't even have to be good. Just bring what you have and give it to me and let me do something with it. That's the invitation. Verse 19 And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, here's what I want you to notice. How many people ate? How many of them? All of them ate. How many of them were satisfied? All of them were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. What did they start with? A little lunch, a little boy's lunch. What did they end with? 12 baskets of fish and bread. They all ate. They were all satisfied. This is the first buffet in human history. Speaking of southern things, there's another one. Now, with all of this in mind, what I want to do is walk back through the story, and I want to pull out four concepts that you and I can apply that we see displayed in Jesus' life that we can apply today and become a little bit more like him. So here's the first one, compassion. Compassion. Who do you have a hard time loving? I don't know. We're in the state of Alabama. Let me just pick. Tennessee fans? Come on now. Somebody just woke up. Somebody hadn't heard a word I said. They're here now. Tennessee fans. Don't point. Don't point. Slow drivers, people who talk while the movie's playing, people who embarrass you in public, you have a hard time loving them. Let's, let's, let's get a little bit more personal this morning. Republicans, Democrats, black people, white people, Hispanics, 
Gay people? See, there's one thing in common about everything that I said. They're all people. All of them are people. Who do you have a hard time loving? Now, don't put your little church face on and pretend it's nobody. Oh, I just love everybody. No, you're lying. You might love everybody, but there's some people that you have a harder time loving than others, right? Yes. And so this morning what I want to ask you is, what if you could view those people through the eyes of compassion rather than criticism? It could change our world. Some people see compassion as a sign of weakness, but compassion says, even though you might not be just like me, I can love you anyway. You want to see change in your marriage this week? Ask God to help you see your spouse the way he sees them. I guarantee you, something's going to give. If Jesus would have just seen this crowd through the eyes of criticism, he would have just gone off on them. Because he could have easily said, listen, 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 I'm not in a good mood. My cousin just got his head cut off. Don't tell me about your arthritis. Don't tell me about how hard it is at work. Don't tell me about the traffic, Jim. My cousin got his head cut off. And all I've heard since I got off the boat was, we're hungry, and how long are you going to talk, and we don't like being here, and this hill's uncomfortable, and there's a lot of people we don't know. That's all I've heard since the day I got here. If he wanted to look through criticism, he could have just unloaded on them with both barrels. But Jesus saw through the eyes of compassion, and compassion, watch this, was the foundation for the miracle. Compassion was the foundation for the miracle. We live in a compassionless culture. I don't have any way to prove it, but it feels to me like, like our culture's at a point where it has less compassion than any time that I can remember. But maybe if there was more compassion, there would be more miracles. There's one thing I know for sure, a compassionless church is never going to be a miraculous church. Now, in this area, is there a person, is there a group of people that you, that you can pray for this week? Is there someone in your life, some group of people you say, somebody at work, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a relative, somebody you say, I, if I'm honest, I'm having the hardest time loving them. Is there somebody, I, I, I'll, give, I'll give you, a, you want to become more like Jesus? Every day this week, I challenge you to pray for them. No, I challenge you to pray for yourself about them. And ask God to help you to see them through His eyes. And I guarantee you this, it will be the most uncomfortable and the most awesome week you've had in a long time. Compassion. Here's the second thing we see. Compassion plus concern. Do you notice the disciples are like, time out, Jesus. What's wrong? Well, we're concerned. Well, why are you concerned? Well, because the people are hungry. Are you concerned because they're hungry? Are you concerned because you're hungry? <laughs> well, whatever. We all have concerns, don't we? I mean, if you just, if you just watch the weather, man, the earthquakes, the, the, uh, if you watch the Caribbean, watching all these storms power up in the Caribbean and start to move through 
you know, the islands and up into peninsula Florida, maybe in the Gulf, the East. When you watch, it just brings an anxiety. If you've ever lived, I've lived in Hurricane Alley. I've lived in areas where hurricanes are frequent, and I'm telling you, when that starts to happen, you can begin to feel the anxiety and the concern lift up on people. It just raises up because you don't know what's going to happen. And look, I think in our society today, we have news junkies. You know, We have 24-hour-a-day news. I don't know who ever thought that was a good idea because we don't want you to go one second of your life uninformed about bad news. We want you to have it. You know, It's like freebasing it straight in your vein, bad news right there. 24 hours a day. And, and what we're not seeing is people are advancing their careers off the crisis and the fears and the conflict in our culture. And we're just dialed in, and I can just tell you, we don't need that much information to live an effective life. If you watch the news and it stresses you out, I got something you can do this week. Turn it off for the whole week, and I guarantee you your stress will go, some of it will go away. Start to get better. Your blood pressure might even go down. Turn it off. Look, I don't need to know how many murders there were last year to live an effective life. As far as I can tell, I haven't been murdered yet. So I don't need anybody dialing in on the news and telling me that. But we have all these concerns in our culture. What happens as church people is we get concerned about people but don't have compassion. So we say things like, you ought to stop doing that. You ought to stop smoking. You ought to stop drinking. You ought to stop doing crack. Or you ought to stop sleeping around. Or you ought, you ought to stop hanging around the people. And, and we get all these, you ought to stop doing this. But, but we, we try to step into people's lives with great concern, without compassion, and it drives people away. You want to know why? Because concern without compassion is control. And everybody can sense it. Their radar is up. They can feel it. You don't really care. You just want this problem to go away. And we're not concerned about them just changing behavior. We're concerned about where will they spend eternity. Did you know that Shelby County, Alabama, where we sit this morning, is the, is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama? 86% of the people in this county will not be in a worship service of any kind today or this weekend. Now, what if this was our concern? What if we weren't concerned about behavior modification or concerned about quit doing this or quit doing that, but what we're concerned about is eternal destination. When Jesus meets this crowd, he feeds them. He does meet their physical, practical need, but Jesus had an eye on eternity. His goal was to help them find eternal transformation. What if our motivation was we're going to be concerned not with someone's behavior but with eternal destination and it was motivated with compassion? It would be a game changer. Look, everybody in this room is concerned about something. You know, we've got save the planet, save the whales, save the, uh, treat animals right. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. All of that has a good part to it. But here's the thing. It's not eternal. And Jesus put us on this earth to make much of Jesus' name. And if that's the case, then the relationships in our life are not accidents. They are people that God has put in our life that we are to have compassion for and concern over where they spend eternity. So if you combine compassion with concern, and then the third thing I see is charity. Now, the more popular word that's used for this today is generosity. 
but I had to have a word that starts with C, so cut me some slack. <laughs> We're going to use charity. I can remember uh, several years ago, uh, I was part of an outreach, and we were just serving our community. And so we put T-shirts on, and we got big coolers with uh, bottled water. And there was this really, really busy four-way stop. It was a blinking light, but cars would just go all day, all day, day. And so for three hours, we stood on the side of the road, and we handed out bottled water. And, and I've been at that stop hundreds of times. But what was interesting about that day is the atmosphere at the stop changed because we had people at every corner, all four corners, handing out bottled water to people when they stopped and telling them, God bless you, like that. And when they would come by, almost everybody that came through smiled. I've been in that stop hundreds of times. Nobody ever smiles. Because here's what I believe. When you offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, when you serve in Jesus' name, you bring his presence into that moment. Jesus' presence was in that moment. And I'm just going to tell you this, generosity melts people's brains. They don't know what to do with it because they assume this is some kind of gimmick. What do you want from me? You're trying to get something from me. You say, we want to show you the love of God. That's why we came, to show you the love of God. And we had people that would come up and say, how much is it? It's nothing. What? And, and some of them even roll their window up, a little crack about the thing, and they would shove a little $1 bills out like that onto the ground and then drive away. I showed them. I took nothing for free. Because generosity melts people's heart. They don't know what to do with it because we assume it's a trick to get us to buy something, but when it's offered in Jesus' name with Jesus' spirit on it, we just don't know what to do with it because it's love. What if we were generous? Now, I'm not talking about tithing. Generosity is what you do after you tithe. Do you know that um, the day that waiters and waitresses make the least amount of tips? Do you know what day it is? If we all know it, why does it keep happening? I bet you could go to any church in America and ask that question, and everybody would say, Sonny, you go, well, who's doing it? It's the least one. Do you know the day of the week that waiters and waitresses make the highest tips? Friday and Saturday night when people are hammered. Hammered people are more generous than church people. Now just think about that for a minute. Pretty interesting, isn't it? That might explain why we don't see a lot of people in the restaurant industry in church services. I'm curious, how many people that are here today, you work in the restaurant industry? How many do we have? One, two, three, three. We had about five first service. We got about eight out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Why? Something, something's not working out out there, is it? Hey, I got an idea. You want to be more like Jesus? When you go to lunch today, why don't you just go ahead and leave the biggest tip you've ever left? Why don't you just put it down and say, and then, and then when, you, when you see the waiter, waiter's wrong, you say, you know what? God has blessed me, and I just want to bless you. And I promise you, they will talk about it all week long. All week long. Now, some of you are thinking, shoot, now we've got to go home and eat. <laughs> That's over. Now, now, maybe you look at this story and you say, where do you get generosity in this story? Well, you get two places. One is from the boy. It was his lunch, right? And he gave it up. 
but also from Jesus. The lunch didn't really belong to the boy, did it? Now, wait, wait, don't. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not over, I'm not overstretching here. Did the lunch really belong to the boy? Who made the bread? Well, I mean, Jesus didn't cook the bread, right? But who made the bread? Jesus did. Who put the fish in the ocean? Jesus did. So, so Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, everything belongs to God, and Jesus asked the boy to give away what God had already given to him. And by the way, that's how Jesus asked us to be generous. He only asked us to give away what he has already given to us. Everything comes from him, the Bible says. So when the boy gave his lunch away, did he have less or did he have more? He started with a little lunch. And we ended with 12 baskets full. So was there less or was there more? There was more. So what's the principle this morning? When you're generous in Jesus' name, you end up with more than you started with. That's how Jesus works. Now, how, how, many, of you, how many of you like to be blessed? How many of you like to be blessed? Okay, some of you just aren't going to play, are you? I don't want to be blessed. I love being miserable and poor and not having enough. I don't want to be blessed. I'm not raising my hand. They'll have to come take my hand. How many of you want to be blessed? Everybody wants to be blessed? Yes, we all want to be blessed. Well, let me tell you how, because the Bible tells us in Acts 20, 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. I didn't get this from some knockoff apostle. This came straight from Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be blessed? Be generous in Jesus' name. Let me just say a word about that because in, in, in times that we live in, we're seeing a, a, a ton of natural disasters. And so everywhere you go, somebody's asking you for a donation to help someone in, in one of the disasters. You go check out of the store, and there's, do you want to add a donation on? You know, you look on your text, somebody's texting you for a donation. You look on uh, email, you got it there. You look on the internet, there it is. You look at the bottom of the TV, there's text this number. And I, look, I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm glad. I'm glad that we're moved to compassion. I'm glad when we see images, I've been in those images. I know what it's like. I, I'm glad when we see those, we're moved to do something. Here's the only thing I would caution you on as a Christian. As a Christian, don't just give to relieve the feeling you have of, of being moved for someone else's suffering. That's a great thing. But make sure you funnel it in a place that's not just going to meet the immediate need, but it's going to meet the eternal need too. Right? What was Jesus? Did Jesus feed everybody? Yes. But what was Jesus concerned about? Where they would spend eternity. And so focus your generosity in a way that will not just move the immediate, but will move the eternal also. So compassion plus concern plus charity plus, here's the last one, calling. 2 Peter chapter 1, we did a, a, a great series this summer on the uh, first and second book of Peter. And the first chapter of 2 Peter has been something that I have held on to since I was a teenager. Because there was a verse in there, specifically in that first chapter, that I needed early in my Christian life uh, so, so much it became an empowering truth for me, and I want to give that to you this morning in verse 3. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. What has God's power given us? What has God's power given us? What does that verse say? Everything. God's power has given us everything we need for a godly life. I got good news. You can be like Jesus. You know why? Because He has given you, through His divine power, everything you need to be like Him. This isn't like a Michael Jordan thing or a Superman thing. This is a whole different thing. Every average Christian, who's this book written to? Who's this chapter written to? It's not written to apostles. It's not written to leaders. It's not written to super saints or superheroes in the, in the faith. It's written to the entire church. You can have a transformed life. You can be free of things that you've said, will I ever be free of this? You can be healed of things you said, can I ever be healed of this? You can be forgiven of things you said, can I ever be, after what I've done, could I ever be? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Because he has given by his divine power everything you need to be like Jesus. How do you access that power? It tells us in the same verse. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. I said it earlier this morning, the closer you get to Jesus, the more like Him you'll become. You want to know how to access that divine power that gives you the power to do everything He wants you to do to become like Him? It's through our knowledge of Him, our knowing Him, our walking with Him, our talking with Him, our listening to Him, our reading His Word and, and hearing the truth of the Gospel. It is in our relationship with Him. The closer I get to Him, the more like Him I'm going to become because His divine power has been given greater access to my life to change me, to change my mind, to change my heart, to change my outlook, to change my hope, to change my encouragement, to change my perception, to change everything. But you and I are called, did you see it said? Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory. Verse 10 says the same thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. You and I as average, everyday Christians, I don't care your age, I don't care your stage, I don't care your background, it doesn't matter where you came from. If you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you have a calling on your life. And your calling is not just to go to heaven. Your calling is to become like Jesus. That's your calling. God has called you. He has selected you. He has picked you. And through God's power, we can do that. Now, what happens when you take compassion plus concern plus charity? What happens when you put these things together plus a calling? you get Christ-likeness. What happens when people start to meet together and see other people through Jesus' eyes? What happens when we begin to become concerned about what Jesus is concerned about? What happens when we begin to be charitable toward those people? What happens when we begin to believe in God's power to not only change our lives, but to change the lives of those we love? Can I tell you, that will move us toward Christ-likeness. That will change the world. I guarantee it. Now, maybe this morning you say, I, I, how, how, would, how would that look and how would I do that? I've given you some ways, but let me give you one more. At the bottom of your info guide, we have a tear-off 
that you can give us some information and say, hey, will you remind me when the next Life Streams class is about to start? We've been working for nearly 10 years on four classes called Life Streams that help teach you how to live more like Jesus. We will equip you and teach you and dialogue with you. We have a group up this morning, a great group, about 15 folks that are going through today. We're going to offer this one more time this fall. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you, go through it before, before the year's over. This is our last stop. All you have to do is give us your information, tear it off, put it in the box on the Welcome Center on your way out today, and all you're saying is, hey, when that is about to start again, would you just remind me that it's about to start so, so I know that I'll be able to be part of the next group that goes through. And it's something everyone can do. Now, this, this morning, as we wrap up, what's the one area that you need to work on? Is it compassion? Is it concern? Is it charity? Is it calling? What's the area that you need to work on? I brought a little graph that I wanted to show you just to kind of give you a linear timeline of how Christian faith might look. So people with a negative number haven't, haven't accepted Christ. They haven't come to faith yet. So the cross is that place in where we meet Jesus and then we begin to grow. So minus 10, minus 9... There's nobody in the room today that's a minus 10 or a minus 9. Minus 9 and minus 10 people don't go to church. They never go to church. In fact, they're proactively working against church or Christianity. They're antagonistic, atheistic, you know, don't believe all, all faith is hogwash and all of that. And so, so maybe minus 8, minus 7. We have people who occasionally visit our services who would probably be somewhere between 8 and 5. Those are the people that say, I don't, really, I don't really believe. I don't really know that this is true. But what does it hurt? I just want to come kick the tires, come look around. And I want to say this to you. If you're in that category anywhere, you have no idea how thrilled I am that you're here today or that you come sometimes. It thrills my soul. It thrills my heart. You, I don't care what number you are on any chart. You're welcome here all the time. And I'm glad, I'm glad you came. Now, I think that because we live in um, the South, we have something I would call cultural Christianity. And I think the average person who's maybe born and raised in the South is probably somewhere around a negative one or two. That's the person who says, I know about God. I know about church. I've been sometimes... My grandmother is a Christian. My uncle's a pastor. Something like that. But they've never, they've never met Jesus personally. He is a theory. He's a concept. He's something we talk about when we're in a spiritual environment, but has no effect on our life outside of that. I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of people in the South are. They don't have a real relationship with Jesus. They think that the point of Christianity is getting an invitation to heaven when you die. It's not becoming like Jesus now. And so I want to read a verse to you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. See, the only way to go from negative numbers to positive numbers is to go through the cross. The only way to get there is to say, all right, God, confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, that you died and you rose from the grave, and that you have the power to change my life. I'm going to have faith in God's power to change my life. That's the key. That's the key. And that helps you and I to begin a real relationship with Jesus. So I'm just going to ask you to stand and um, just find a place that you're comfortable. I'm not going to keep you long, but I do want us to pray today. With every eye closed, if you would just kind of quiet your mind, quiet your heart, every eye closed, if you just get in a place where you, you shut the visual off and you're just there asking God, search your heart to help you you're open to him you're open to him and as and as we're as we're opening our hearts i want to ask our prayer team if you'd come this morning here's what i'm gonna ask you to do today if you say you know what i want to have a real relationship with jesus i want i want to invite jesus into my life i want to have a real relationship with him I want to meet Jesus personally. I want to be, I want to know that I know that I know that whatever needs to be changed has been changed. And I'm a new person in Him. And if that's you, I want you just to pray this prayer with me. It's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything. Just pray this prayer with me right where you are and just open your heart to Him. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Just pray this in your heart along with me. I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to change me. Lord, I ask you to wash away all my sin. I ask you today to forgive me for everything I've done. And I ask you to come and fill my heart, and fill my mind, make me a new person Lord I ask you to give me the strength to live for you in Jesus name now with every eye closed if you prayed that prayer today nobody looking around I just want you to lift your hand and say today I prayed that prayer today I prayed that prayer from my heart thank you yeah, thank you. Prayed that prayer today. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I see your hand in the back. Thank you so much. Yeah. Looking around in the balcony. Anybody you just want to lift your hand? I prayed that prayer today. Prayed that prayer today. Yeah. Good. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Thank you. So here's what I want to do this morning with every eye closed. We're going to offer prayer now. If you prayed that prayer, the very first thing you need to do is to tell somebody. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I'm, I promise you when you tell somebody, it's going to become more real to you. Something is going to change. And what I want to ask you to do, if you raise your hand, 
when we pray in a minute, I just want you to come find one of our prayer team and say, hey, I, I prayed that prayer this morning. There'll be people coming for different reasons, but I want you to come and just say, I prayed that prayer this morning. Would you just pray with me that God's going to help me? And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I need change. I need something to change in my life. It could be circumstances. It could be relationship. It could be your health. It could be a job. It could be a, it could be a wound you can't let go of. It could be you've having a hard time forgiving. It doesn't matter what it is. This morning, we want to trust God's power to make change. Remember when we were singing a few minutes ago and we said, God, help us to trust you and to trust your power to change what needs to be changed. Well, now's the time. Now's the moment. And so this morning, if you need something changed in your life, if you need God to change something, would you just lift your hand and say, I need God's power this morning to change something in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, throughout the room. Thank you. Yep, in the back. Thank you. Yes, just lift it up. Just lift it up. I need God's power to change this in my life. Yes, sir, I see it. Yes, in the back, I see it. Yes, I need God's power. Yes, yes. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to begin to pray, and as soon as I do, I want you, whatever you lifted your hand for, I want you to come right now, and I want you to let the prayer team begin to pray for you and let God's power begin to, begin to touch that moment. Let God's power begin to touch that need. Just like when Jesus broke the fish and loaves, He has the power to touch you. So I want you to come right now. Lord, thank you today for your grace. Thank you for your power. God, I thank you for your love, and I thank you that you are, that you are showing up today. I thank you that the power of the Lord is present this morning to touch and to heal and to save and to strengthen and to give life. I want you to come right now. From the balcony, we'll wait for you. Come on, right now. Lord, I thank you today for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you are moving. I thank you that you are changing things. I thank you today that we will not leave here the way that we came. Something is changing as we touch your presence, as we touch your heart. Something is changing today. Something is changing today. Come on, I want you to come right now. Come on, worship team, begin to sing.